Hello, friend. Thanks so much for downloading this podcast. And with all my heart, I hope you hear something that edifies, encourages, equip, enlightens, and then engages you in the marketplace of ideas. But before you go and before you listen, I want to take a quick moment and explain to you this month's truth tool. The book is called I Believe, A Concise Guide to the Essentials of the Christian Faith. You know, it's paramount as followers of Christ that we not only know what we believe, but why we believe it. So questions like heaven and hell, angels, the Trinity, all of these are foundational issues for believing Christians. But sometimes we don't fully understand what it is we believe about Christianity. So the book, I Believe, A Concise Guide to the Essentials of the Christian Faith is just that. It's concise and it's a wonderful guide to explain to you the cornerstones of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. It's yours for a gift of any amount because In the Market with Janet Partial is a listener-supported broadcast. We stay on the air because you pray and give. So if you'd like this month's Truth Rule, just call 877-JANET-58. Ask for a copy of I Believe. That's 877-JANET-58. Or you can go online to InTheMarketWithJanetPartial.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's the cover of the book. Give a gift of any amount. We'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you. While you're on that website, you might want to take a moment, scroll down just a little bit farther, and there's a description of what it means to be a partial partner. These are people who give at a level of their own choosing, and they give every month. They get the truth tool if they ask for it every single month, and they'll also get a newsletter, only people that do, that includes an audio portion that only goes to my partial partners. So if you want to be a partial partner or you're just interested in giving one time to get a copy of I Believe, 877-JANET-58 is the route to go, 877-JANET-58, or online at InTheMarketWithJanetPartial.org. I Believe, a great book for you to put in your backpack as you continue your Pilgrim's Progress. Now, please enjoy the podcast. Here are some of the news headlines we're watching. By the time the conference was over, the president won a pledge. So Americans worshiping government over God. An extremely next... rare safety move by a nation. 17 years the Palestinians and Israelis negotiated. He explained to me, look, you in the Western, based on the history, on enlightenment, you have a concept which protects the individual against the collective. We, based on Confucius, we have more concept which protects the collective against the individual. Today, particularly at times when the individual could have so much power, we have to find a way to harmonize those two concepts. Mm. Welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. That's food for thought and then some. That is Klaus Schwab. He happens to be a German engineer who founded the World Economic Forum. And Craig Parshall and I are going to focus on that this hour. Happy Friday to you. We're going to dig into this as much as we can because this event just concluded. In fact, I spent part of my time this afternoon literally listening to the closing arguments in Davos, Switzerland, of the World Economic Forum. I will tell you right from the set that uh, I'm not a fan by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, Craig... Klaus Schwab, by the way, is very much of a globalist. And by the way, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it's radio. You can't see it. Craig has his Bible open, so we're going to go deep this hour. That's because we've been warned that something like this was going to happen. (coughs) Excuse me. So, Craig, 
Um, the World Economic Forum goes back to 1971. It is deemed to be an international non-governmental organization. Now, we're going to throw a lot of words at you. That means they ain't elected, okay? They decided they're the leaders. They decided in their own right, we shall be like gods. And I'm not saying that as a pejorative, because what comes out of their mouth, and Scripture tells us out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, these are people who truly feel in their egalitarian position that they have the answers for all of the world's crises. They simply will get together in one place. It's a small little resort, by the way, in Switzerland. They fly in on private jets, which right out of the get-go is hypocritical, because they're screaming about carbon emissions and the carbon footprint, and they're all flying in on a private jet that will have a bigger footprint than you and I will put on planet Earth in a year's use of our cars. But they've all decided they have the answers. It is without God, first and foremost, and that's extremely important. It is very collective as opposed to individual, which means there are heavy Marxist ideas that weave its way throughout Davos. So this is a group of people. In fact, let me tell you what their stated mission is. Improving the state of the world by engaging business, political, academic, and other leaders of society to shape global, regional, and industry agendas. The forum problematically promotes a multi-stakeholder governance model, stating that the world is best managed by a self-selected coalition. Note that nobody was elected. Of multinational corporations. (coughs) Excuse me. Multinational corporations getting over a cold governments and civil society organizations, uh, which it expresses through initiatives like The Great Reset. Klaus Schwab, by the way, wrote a book with that title, and The Global Redesign. Again, I think we read something about that in another book that's much older than The Great Reset, but it tells us that there's going to be a move for a Great Reset. So this is where you walk through life with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. This foundation, by the way, this World Economic Forum, is funded by about a 1,000 members, and they come from multinational companies. So uh, the individuals that show up are the intelligentsia, their business, their media, their academicians, um, and they've just decided, again, not elected by anybody, that they'll gather together and they'll basically solve the world's problems. Now, Craig, I can't even say it with a straight face because the theme for the World Economic Forum in Davos this year was, wait for it, rebuilding trust. Now, I wonder why they had to pick rebuilding trust. And I'll tell you why. It's because the more my people perish for lack of knowledge, the word tells us, the more people learn about this globalist elite society that basically feels they have determined what is true, what is right, what is good, and they're going to superimpose it on every nation on planet Earth. Belying, by the way, just by that utterance, then this concept of national sovereignty and God has a very clear position on national sovereignty. He sets boundaries, right? So you've got this elitist organization and you start out with Klaus Schwab, again, the founder, and he talks about the, you know, individuals can be too powerful. We have to work through the collective. I, I think a guy named Karl Marx said that once upon a time, but give me your initial thoughts. That word collective uh, for people who, know anything about the history of socialism and communism, that's going to ring a bell. It's going to ring several bells. And it was used throughout and has been used, particularly this year in the World Economic Forum meeting over there in Davos, uh, repeatedly. I'll give you just one example. Um, In the section of discussions that are going on over there right now on artificial intelligence, AI, AI, There is such a thing as the AI Governance Alliance that's been created. 
uh, who created it, the same sort mm-hmm. of shadowy groups and experts mm-hmm. and financiers and billionaires that we've been talking about. And they came out with a report. And in the report, they talk about the need for, quote, collective benefit of future artificial intelligence and technology. The word collective is used throughout in terms of the leadership over there in Davos and in the World Economic Forum. Now, you raised a really important point at the beginning. You said, well, okay, so um, who are these people that are going to tell the rest of the world what they ought to be, uh, ought they, uh, what uh, standards ought to be implemented, what social problems ought to be solved and how they ought to be solved. Who are they to do it? Well, they are the idea creators, but as we all know, ideas have consequences. And the more people who adapt these ideas, particularly people who have influence and money and position in a group like the um, uh, the, the World Economic Forum, then what happens is the influence trickles down to heads of government. And by the way, these World Economic Forum meetings are full of governmental leaders from around the world. So it isn't just private individuals, it's nation states coming together, kind of like an informal UN, and being influenced by the idea creators who are now talking about using collective power so that individual rights are tamped down. We're going to dig into some of the ideas that they put forth. In fact, I'm looking, and this is their own documentation. That's why Abraham Lincoln was right when he said, when you prepare your case, 20% of your time preparing your case, 80% of your time preparing your opponent's case. So I'm going to let them speak for themselves on what their goals are regarding this forum. Greg Parshall is with me. This is In the Market with Janet Parshall. We're taking a look at the World Economic Forum that just ended in Davos. Heaven, hell, angels, the Trinity, all of these are foundational issues for believing Christians. But do you understand what you believe? That's why I've chosen I Believe, a concise guide to the essentials of the Christian faith as this month's truth tool. Know what you believe and why you believe it. Ask for your copy of I Believe when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877-JANET-58, that's 877-JANET-58, or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. A tua irmã, a tua irmã Tchaia no, na, no Camarro Anuri, no Camai, no Camuacá, na Anuri, no Yuyuá, na Wahon, Xinambu, Panquetu, Xinam, Xavauakim, Xinamu, Kikirani, Tsang, Xavakirani, Tsang, Mkikirani. Awamau, Nanã, Awamau, Nanã, Numaú, Nuai, Uai, Xarai. So when I tell you that the World Economic Forum that meets annually in Davos is anti-God, I just gave you evidence to that end. That is Chiefess Putani. She happens to be a part of a tribe in Brazil, and she was performing a shamanistic ritual before one particular session. 
And uh, apparently, as she was coughing and blowing over these people, she was blowing over the heads of the International Monetary Fund, the president of the World Bank, the CEO of IKEA, and a billionaire. And so, uh, again, it, it was justified by those who were running this uh, summit that it was important to, quote, look to the future. We must look back and see what the wishes of our ancestors are. So uh, ancestral worship, paganism, shamanistic ritual, you're off to a good start. And uh, I find it interesting because it really does raise an important question. What spirit governs Davos? Craig, your thoughts. Uh, It gets back to our discussion about ideas and ideas have consequences. In this case, the religious ideas that are being scattered abroad over the Davos proceedings are coming from a pagan source. So Mm -hmm. paganism versus Christianity, that's an interesting uh, contrast. Uh, I don't see any traditional Orthodox Christian ideas anywhere in the recent history of discussions over at Davos, except in very slim and very few dissenting voices. So let me pick up on something you said before. According to an article in Axios, Craig, AI was the buzzword of this particular summit gathering. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of conversations about what they were going to do globally. And I find it interesting, again, because this goes to information control, disinformation. You and I have talked endlessly about the European Union censorship, uh, Facebook uh, arrogantly saying to an entire continent, you can't be on our Facebook pages. So now you've got these unelected people gathering together, all people of self-aggrandizement. They've decided they are people of influence and they're going to decide what's good for the planet. What could possibly go wrong if they decide to get involved with artificial intelligence? Yeah. Um, look, our artificial intelligence is complicated enough for uh, those of us who try to follow it, read it, uh, predict trends, and look at the worldviews of people who are developing chat, GPT, and so forth. By the way, Sam Altman, who is uh, the designer, creator of uh, chat G- GPT, which was uh, about a year and a half to two years ago, the artificial intelligence AI system that has now, in a very short period of time, taken over the whole world in terms of its popularity and the millions of people that are actually using it. Let me just boil this down. Artificial intelligence is a manner of using computers to do our thinking for us. Mm. And if you think of it that way, computer systems doing our thinking and decision-making for us, then you realize that those at a, at the AI conference within Davos, like Sam Altman and others, who are talking about infusing, quote, equity and equitable results and equitable values in AI systems, what that means is taking socialism, because equity is socialism as opposed to equality, which is the basis, uh, one of the values of our constitutional republic, and that is equal justice under law is the concept of due process built into the American constitutional system for fairness. Equity means not equality, but taking those that ought to be preferred over others so that we can create supposedly an equal outcome by depriving some of their rights for the benefits of others. So you talked about Sam Altman, by the way. He made his debut this year at the WEF in Davos. Uh, along with Microsoft's CEO. And Sam Sam Altman, if you don't know, 
is the jet GPT maker of open AI and everybody, world leaders from China to France, were talking about artificial intelligence. And that is extremely important given the fact that uh, the European Union now has devised the world's first comprehensive AI rules. Again, why I was such a strong supporter of Brexit, because I'm not interested again in the coalescing of nations, the denying of national sovereignty and the centralizing of government, which again goes to the collective and not to the individual. So the EU has now decided all these initials. The EU has decided what they're doing about AI. I feel like the alphabet soup game we used to play with our kids. But (laughs) bottom line is they understand it's a busy election year. By the way, not just in the United States. There's big elections that are going to happen in France and elections are going to happen in India. So there's a lot of global elections that are going to take place this year. And AI-powered misinformation and disinformation is a big risk. And so you've got Sam Altman basically saying, hey, uh, forgive us. It was just a really busy year and it kind of got out of control. And I guess we need to do more. Well, you let the horse out of the barn a little early. Can you rein him back? I don't think so. Yeah, horses run faster than human beings, Mm -hmm. at least on the long range. By the way, there was a famous race, I believe, between Jesse Owens and a racing horse. Uh, And I forgot who won on the short term. Um, he may have uh, bested the horse on a short run. On the long run, a horse is going to take it uh, uh, every time. So this horse has been out of the barn for two years, has been in development for a decade. That is to say, artificial intelligence, and even longer, actually. Um, so now we're suddenly saying, uh-oh, we better get policies. We better get protections quick. Let's let's pass some mandates. Let's bring the world together quickly and construct something on the fly that's usually a good recipe for disaster. Wow. We're going to continue our conversation about the World Economic Forum taking place in Davos, Switzerland, just ended today. So this is now hot off the presses as these group of individuals decide how they're going to run the world. Back after this. This is In the Market with Janet Parshall, and we're taking a look at what happened at Davos at the Economic Forum, trying to play a piece of audio for you. I'll ask Stephen to get it for us in a minute, where they're pushing. We were talking about AI, and a part of that, Craig, has to go to the idea about artificial intelligence and its relationship to digital ID. So what happens at Davos is they're keynote speakers, that, and it's a four-day event, 15th through the 19th this year. And there are workshops. <clears throat> I'm loath to call them that, but they're really kind of mini lectures, and then there's major speakers as well. But they're advancing the idea of biometric digital ID. Now, remember, you're a bunch of elitists. You're a bunch of globalists. You want to control people. How do you control people? Well, you got to know who the people are and where the people are. And so you can use it under the guise of we'll see if you're vaccinated or we'll see what your carbon footprint is. Or you could use it as a way to apply to school. So in other words, again, I keep going back to this because we used to read our children fairy tales when they were growing up. In fact, my daughter Sarah and I wrote a book called When the Fairy Dust Settles, because it was about morality tales. Fairy tales were ways of teaching children good versus evil, right versus wrong, and then you would use the story and talk what happens when the choice is for evil and the outcome was, you know, the witch is destroyed, the choice is good, and the princess ascends to the throne. I mean, there's just these one—Hans Christian Andersen, by the way, was a professing Christian, but 
In the fairy tale, the Pied Piper of Hamelin, the city in Germany has a bunch of rats and they're trying to get rid of them. So they hire this nefarious character who they think is just going to play his magic tune and he's going to drive away the rats. Well, what he ends up doing is taking all the children. And so this is the way they opportunistically step in. We're going to give you a way to be able to say, here, you can travel through all the countries of the EU by just having this biometric digital ID, and that way we'll know whether you're vaccinated. But if you know where I'm vaccinated, you can also track me. And if you know, if you can track me, then you're going to determine where I'm going and where I'm spending my money, and it opens up the gates of hell for an intrusion into liberty and freedom. Your thoughts on this? Well, first of all, you have to start, if you want to protect freedom and individual liberty, you have to start with the belief that it is a... Uh, a paramount and very important and a crucial value to protect. You have to start from that position. You don't debate whether or not it's a value. Uh, The values that I hear from uh, Davos are things like equitable access and inclusion for global AI governance. That's one of the papers that was produced and disseminated. Equitable. Equitable. Mm -hmm. Again, not equality among a level, not a level playing field among all people of all races, religions, and geographies, but rather we'll decide winners and losers. We'll decide who gets predominance and who gets second or third place in these governance documents in the future that we're going to create. And by the way, they all talk about a, quote, responsible future. They're going to plan it, and then they're going to try to mandate it. I guarantee it. Right now, it's not a mandate. But the only way to ensure what they think is in all of these documents that are being disseminated in Davos, using the phrase responsible future, the only way to ensure this responsible future Mm -hmm. ultimately is through a mandate, is, is a if not then you're going to have consequences. So again, when we talk about walking through life with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other, when you hear ideas being espoused that stand in stark opposition to what God's word says prophetically in particular, I think it's important for the saints to be paying attention. So when Jesus tells us what the signs are before his return, one of the things is there's going to be wars and rumors of war. So using the thinking cap that God has given us and being a critical thinker, that tells me that we'll never have complete lasting peace on planet Earth. You cannot have wars and rumors of wars and yet have peace. So hot off the presses, the World Economic Forum today released some of their key moments of the week and what their key goals were. So going to that point, one of them is leaders need to pull together because of the issue of global cooperation and security. So one of the things they say is that we, quote, mustn't let geopolitical divides to prevent global responses to global challenges like climate change or AI. Uh, This calls for enhanced collaboration and cooperation. And then they make the declarative statement, peace And security is possible, quote, if we pull together and make the wise and bold decisions. Now, I'm not a pessimist by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm pretty sure being east of Eden, we're not going to have global peace and security. Am I a naysayer? Am I a curmudgeon? Or am I reading what the word says? Well, if you if you want to predict the future, which I don't dare to do, the only accurate prediction of the future is between the covers of your Bible, because it's been true in the past and will be true in the future. However, if you want to to predict with some level of assurance that something might probably happen, then the best predictor metric is what's happened in the past. And the history of the human race, 
I think is testament to the accuracy of Scripture that we are a fallen race, that we are flawed morally and spiritually, and that we have an inherent uh, reality of sin, selfishness, um, that leads to destruction if unfettered and un- or unrestrained. One of the reasons that God permitted and really motivated the creation of government is to restrain that tendency in human beings, because the more you allow a small elite group to govern, the more you're going to see the sin nature of man rampant and becoming mandate. Mm. This is In the Market with Janet Parshall. We're going to continue our coverage of Davos. The World Economic Forum just concluded today, started on the 15th, ended today again. These group of global elites, they're a non-governmental organization, which is a term that comes out of the United Nations, by the way. It's called an NGO. But they have no authority other than the authority they have given to themselves. But they believe that they are called to influence countries and therefore influence the globe. Back after this. Jesus told us to go into the world and not run away from it, and he didn't say it would be easy. In the Market with Janet Parshall is a program designed to come alongside and walk with you into the marketplace of ideas. Partial Partners are those friends who support our program on a regular monthly basis. They know the mandate of influencing and occupying until he comes, so why don't you become part of the inner circle of support? Call 877-JANET-58 or go to inthemarketwithjanetparshall.org. developing through technology an ability for consumers to measure their own carbon footprint. What does that mean? That's where are they traveling? How are they traveling? What are they eating? What are they consuming on the platform? So individual carbon footprint tracker. Mm. Stay tuned. We don't have it operational yet, but this is something that we're working on. And run for the hills. So I really need a global, non-governmental organization to know where I'm going and what I'm eating. You know, I, I keep thinking of China's uh, credit score. Exactly. And over there, if uh, if you don't follow the protocol that the communist Chinese government has in place, if you are known as a dissenter, and if you don't walk in lockstep, then your credit score will reflect that which means you won't be able to shop in certain places. You won't be able to get loans. Uh, if you're a small business, you may not be able to flourish. The government will make sure that that happens as a penalty for your not towing the party line. Um, so again, the more you centralize values and have a group of elites, whether it's the World Economic Forum or whether it's a number of nation states in the U.N., uh, centralization of government power is always a bad idea. I give you chapters 10 and 11 of Genesis. Um, so the more we talk about uh, creating a social good for the entire world, and by the way, I've looked at these documents that are being created in Davos, and um, uh, they're they're concerning because the tracking ability that we have now I'll go back to what we were talking about in terms of carbon in, uh, uh, footprint. I can foresee first as an idea, then as a value, then as a permission, and then as a mandate 
that if you have a carbon footprint as measured by some organization, coalition, or elite group, that's too high, that you're burning up too much carbon, you're injuring the environment too much, then your carbon footprint, which can be tracked right now, and by the way, we just heard that they are putting this into development right now technologically, can be easily reflected in punishing you by saying, you can't get a home loan unless you reduce your carbon footprint. You can't go to a certain university as long as you have that kind of a high carbon footprint. The ramifications of that, Janet, are staggering. So um, there's so much in this conference. You, you just need to pull out layer by layer by layer. But I want to look at some of them that I think are particularly important to people who are listening here. So one of the people who always gets invited to Davos is Bill Gates. Now, you know, God bless this man for being given a talent to get involved in computers and really change our world. And that's fabulous. He went to Harvard University and he dropped out. Now, why am I saying that? I'm, I'm just simply looking at objective facts, black ink on white paper. So if he dropped out of Harvard and he's been very successful in Microsoft, when did that make him an expert on climate change? or population control. So I spent part of the day today watching a TED Talk he did on CO2. I also compared it with another Harvard professor, by the way, who says that this idea that CO2 is the great pollutant is one of the biggest lies that's ever been perpetuated on mankind. He said CO2 helps the oceans, it helps the plants, and it actually helps life on the planet. He said, our research says that if you're going to look at why there's changes at all in the atmosphere, it's because of the sun. He said, we're 90% sure that that's where the cause is coming from, not from CO2. And yet this TED uh, lecture that Bill Gates gave, again, man who's very gifted in computers, but is not by training a geologist, a Scientologist. Oh, that would be a whole different theological worldview. I mean, into the science of climate change. And this is a man, however, who really truly believes that CO2 numbers have to be zero. This is this net zero conversation that's emanating out of the cops, out of the UN climate change conferences. We get it out of the World Economic Forum over and over and over again. Uh, Yesterday, I had a fabulous interview with Steve Gorm. If you missed it, it was our one yesterday. Go to our archives, download it, and uh, you'll get a chance to hear the real truth about this green energy failure that will be coming, by the way. But in the CO2 formulation that Gates talks about, one of the issues is population. He thinks we're overpopulated. So let me just tell you, ideas have consequences and bad ideas have bad consequences. So through the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and this just comes out of Davos this week, uh, they have a history of providing financial support to groups with a particular worldview. And I would say that it was not a biblical worldview by any stretch of the imagination. So the Gates Foundation Board of Trustees have approved a record $8.6 billion budget for 2024. That is up $8.3 billion from 2023 and $7 billion from 2022. They just announced that this week in Switzerland. And over the years, this charity has poured tens of millions of dollars into pro-abortion groups, one particular party's aligned nonprofits, and the Chinese government organization's among other causes. They work in areas related to, quote, gender equality, policy advocacy, global health. Pro-abortion groups have received tens of millions from the Gates Foundation to, quote, promote family planning and women's empowerment. So if he believes in this TED Talk that CO2 has to be zero, and that's the goal stated by John Kerry, special envoy for the president for climate, if you have to have a net zero by 2050, that means we're going to change 
We've now decided Abracadabra must have met somewhere, had an election that you and I slept through, that CO2 is now not a part of God's ecosystem. It is now a pollutant and it must be zero. So if population is part of the problem, according to the non-climate scientist, but great in computer design, Bill Gates, then you have to lower the population. Hence, we're giving money to abortion groups. Now, this is why I say, without embarrassment, this is a markedly anti-God gathering. Well, you asked a question a couple seconds ago, an important one, and that is, you know, why suddenly um, is Bill Gates being given a platform? Well, here's the simple equation. Money. Once you get the money, then you get the power and the influence. And when you have billions and trillions of dollars at your disposal, then you get not only influence and power, you also get an audience. You will be uh, basically feted. You'll be able to get on all kinds of deus platforms around the world and then talk about things that you're not qualified really to speak on, but because, again, of your money and power and prestige as a result of being able to design, um, you know, laptops and and computer systems and software, uh, which he was great at, does not mean necessarily that you're going to be a philosopher king who can say this is how the world ought to be run. Well, so uh, uh, listening to this uh, Harvard professor who's um, very vehement about the perpetuation of lies is what he calls them, just outright lies. He said, when you ask the Al Gores or the John Kerry's of the world, if we're trying to get to a stable temperature for planet Earth, what would that number be? And the likes of the Al Gores and the John Kerry's, who are the ambassadors for this particular worldview, will not give you an answer. So here's common sense. This is your seventh grade science class. So you have one temperature in Siberia and you have another temperature in the Sahara Desert. Which temperature is the right temperature? Well, believing in a sovereign God and reading in Romans 1 about the creator as opposed to worshiping the created, I'm pretty secure in the fact that the temperatures are what the temperatures are supposed to be. But now again, this is a Nimrod moment of of rebellion again. We're raising our fist toward God, telling him he's wrong. And we've decided that the homeostasis, the, the way in which this planet balances itself out and has for millennia, is somehow wrong. And we've got to change it. And so one of the goals that came out of this and one of the stated uh, statements that they made over and over again, and it's their word, not mine, is that urgency is our only savior. Did I I say this was a non-God organization? So apparently they say that uh, climate change is a, quote, existential crisis. Now, remember, the science is not settled on this. There are all kinds of scientists, peer-reviewed, published, who have said you're, you're promulgating fiction. For a political, a global agenda, it has nothing to do with saving the planet. But again, uh, if you believe it's an existential climate crisis, quote, a sense of urgency is our own savior. And so they talked about how it's imperative to talk about global climate change and there needs to be leadership in tackling climate change, quote, even if it's unpopular. Have you considered the fact that it's unpopular because it's untrue? Well, if you declare an emergency... You can always get a lot more power and a larger club to be able to use on large numbers of people than if you say, well, it's not an emergency, but it's an important issue. Then suddenly it gets dialed down. I I give you uh, the COVID mandates that happened. The COVID mandates, several of them that went to the U.S. Supreme Court, one that said uh, landlords had to give free rent for a while in New York Mm -hmm. to to their tenants because of COVID. Supreme Court struck that down. 
uh, another mandate telling churches they had to close down, uh, but taverns and, um, uh, you know, another uh, bars and tattoo parlors could stay open. Uh, Supreme Court also said, oh, wait a minute, this is unconstitutional. So in other words, if you blow the whistle and say, we've got to fill in the blanks um, emergency, whether it's COVID and a health emergency, whether it's uh, a climate uh, emergency, uh, as long as you can blow the whistle and say we're in an emergency, you can usually convince people that their liberties are not as important as they should be. And there were really, Janet, as you look at it, uh, there were really three main areas that Davos and the World Economic Forum talked about. Number one was global trade. The word equity and collective was in that from beginning to end. The second one was AI, equity and collective. Again, uh, infused there. And the third one was climate, equity, and collective was in that as well. Yeah. So you can see there is a worldview Absolutely. saying we know the best for the world. We're going to convince the nation state leaders to then use mandates and governance requirements on the people. That's you and I. When we come back, we've got some more audio from Davos and some concluding thoughts on the World Economic Forum Summit that just ended today in Davos, Switzerland. Back after this. Today, we stand really at a unique juncture in human history, facing challenges that are as diverse as they are profound. The special role of the World Economic Forum is not to look just at one single issue. It is a place where, at the beginning of the year, we come together to analyze the state of the world in a systemic and strategic way, and hopefully to find common ground to generate positive impact. Geopolitically, our world, as my friend and colleague said, Berge Brende, geopolitically, our world is more interconnected, yet paradoxically, more divided and fragmented than ever. Economically, we grapple with sluggish growth. The very fabric of our societies is inclusiveness, which is in doubt. Environmentally, we confront the relentless challenges of climate change, a threat to our planet's delicate balance. And technologically, we navigate uncharted waters where innovation offers boundless opportunities, but also unprecedented risks. Those deeply transformative challenges, which are actually the cornerstone of our program, lead to uncertainty generalized fear and pessimism. They force us into a mode of short-term crisis management at the detriment of long-term strategic and sustainable solutions. This reactionary approach undermines our collective faith 
in the future. That's it. And here we losing the face of our future. We risk to become much more egocentered and on a, on a national and individual level. To break this cycle, we need a paradigm shift. We must rebuild trust, and that's actually the theme of our meeting. We have to rebuild trust. Rebuild trust, a paradigm shift. Klaus Schwab speaking at a conference he founded in the late 70s. Um, I think there's a real concern for the paradigm shift he's looking for. And I have to tell you that there were some people who came to Davos and there were all kinds of influencers there who are not drinking the Kool-Aid. One of them happens to be the newly elected president of Argentina. He tells it like it is. And he did at Davos. Have a listen. Good afternoon. Thank you very much. Today, I'm here to tell you that the Western world is in danger. And it is endangered because those who are supposed to have to defend the values of the West are co-opted by a vision of the world that inexorably leads to socialism and thereby to poverty. Unfortunately, in recent decades, motivated by some well-meaning individuals willing to help others, and others motivated by the wish to belong to a privileged caste, the main leaders of the Western world have abandoned the model of freedom for different versions of what we call collectivism. We're here to tell you that collectivist experiments are never the solution to the problems that afflict the citizens of the world. Rather, they are the root cause. Do believe me, no one better place than us, Argentines, to testify to these two points. Hmm. And Laurel and Harley would say at this point, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> he's a man who understands socialism and he's saying you've got socialist ideas. You know, Janet, I was uh, comparing uh, collectivism and that's, you know, the word collective was all through uh, Davos, as well as the word equity. What's wrong with equity? Well, because it's the opposite of equality. Number two, what's wrong with collectivism? Well, let me give you the de definition from uh, Merriam-Webster of what collectivism is. It is a, quote, political or economic theory advocating collective control, uh -oh. especially over production and distribution, an emphasis on collective rather than individual action or individual identity, end quote. In other words, and as you heard uh, our friend Klaus talking about the problem with individualism, uh, individual action and responsibility, is we really need a collective uh, solution to this rather than an individual yeah. idea of freedom and, and individual action. Look, um, we live with God's blessings under a constitutional republic that values and protects and reflects the value of individual responsibility and individual freedom and individual action, not collectivist control over, quote, production and distribution. As a matter of fact, the capitalist system that we have in the United States, subject to antitrust laws and certain guardrails that are there to make sure capitalism doesn't swallow up the rest of us, has been one of the hallmarks of er, both early uh, success for the United States that was confounding to Europe, 
they said, how can this little tiny uh, group of colonies become so successful so quickly? Number one, because we believed in individual freedom and liberty, and we protect that in the Constitution. Number two, we believed in free enterprise. Both of those concepts, Janet, I think are at risk. And if your listeners who follow Christ want to go back to Genesis 10 and 11, you're going to see how serious God takes this idea of making sure that we don't have a centralized group controlling global activity. So the antidote to this is going to be recognizing the importance of national sovereignty. And these egalitarians can make up all the ideas they want to. But again, we have the right of uh, the vote. We govern the will of the right people now. is the law of the land right now. So we should exce- yeah, it underscores that. again, from dog catcher to president of the United States, why elections are important. You can either have leadership that says we acquiesce to these ideas, we subjugate national sovereignty to this global singular entity, or we say thanks, but no thanks. We've heard you, but we're not interested. That's going to be extremely important. By the way, in the midst of all of this, Swiss prosecutors announced today that apparently Israel President Isaac Herzog has been the subject of criminal complaints during his visit at the World Economic Forum. I'm sorry, were you talking about rebuilding trust? Were you talking about unity? Oh, that's right. In the meantime, you're going after the president of the nation of Israel. There's so much more we could say. I hope we've given you some food for thought. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next time on In the Market with Janet Parshall.